0: I kind of like the high-five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average, and those savings add up. Imagine what you could buy in The future. 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 So I used the savings from switching to Progressive 30 years ago to buy tickets to the championship game.
1: You know, between those two teams that didn't exist 30 years ago. Yeah, I'm a big Alaska Palm Trees fan. Which is a team now, in the future.
0: So switch to Progressive and save big, because those savings can add up in the future. future. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National annual average insurance savings by new customer surveyed who saved with Progressive in 2020. Potential savings will vary.
2: What's up, what's up, welcome in GC Live, Wes Mitchell here with Chris Clark, as always brought to you by our good friend Clint Hammond of the Mortgage Network, he is the man to get you hooked up with a mortgage here in Columbia or really anywhere in the state of South Carolina, clinthammond.com, 803-771-6933, again that's clinthammond.com, if you're looking to refinance, maybe purchase a new house, um, whatever it is, Clint will get you hooked up, Clint not only a big Gamecock fan but also a huge supporter of Gamecock Central and longtime Gamecock Central subscriber and our top prime presenting sponsor here on GC Live. Again, he is Chris Clark. I'm Wes Mitchell. Welcome back. Um, if you did not catch the show on Friday, go back, check it out. Chris, you got to go back and listen to the interview with Mattrick Belton. My man's going to do big things, I, I think. He, he cut if, – if anybody has some of that just sort of latent – wrestling background uh that if, if you're my age or chris's age you watch wrestling when you were a teenager uh or you know sort of that right before you became a teenager when wwe attitude was like it was wwf at the time was huge you watched it uh matrick former gamecock receiver dude he cut a promo just on the fly put him on the spot completely um, he literally grabbed the tab off of his glasses he had just bought and cut a promo. So if if you're listening or watching you haven't um, listened or watched the show on Friday, go back, listen to Mattrick, good stuff from him. But today, the Gamecocks, of course, we have to start. Chris and I are more football guys as far as our coverage, but we have to start with what the weekend was for South Carolina fans, getting a big series win over Clemson, as exciting as Saturday was for the South Carolina fan base. Chris, it would have lost its luster if South Carolina turned around and lost Clemson at home on Sunday and you split the series. Then it gets pushed till May, game three. You know, South Carolina is going to be focused on the SEC play at that point to get two walk-off wins over Clemson Tigers. In a men's sport, let, let's be honest. You know, South Carolina has struggled in men's sports. Granted, they beat Clemson in basketball last year. Um, But just overall, this fan base needed something positive to happen in its major men's sports. And we we obviously are involved with the fan base often, Chris. We see their posts on GamecockCentral.com. We interact with them. This was much needed for this South Carolina fan base. It was huge. I mean, a, a lot of positivity
3: coming out of the weekend and not only the start in general of this baseball team and being undefeated and Wes Clark becoming sort of a, a household name nationally. Right. But um, t- to have the series start off the way it did, two great games. I mean, I watched just about just about every pitch of both games. At Both games, they were great games. A lot of back and forth. Two teams that look on the surface to be really good teams, you know, and obviously pretty evenly matched as far as this weekend was concerned. South Carolina over and over, you know, answered the call in terms of adversity. So no matter the opponent, um, it would have been a really positive series. You know, pick pick a a quality opponent and plug them in. It would have been a really good thing to see for South Carolina getting two walk-off wins. Battling back all those different things, but put it against Clemson, and it really upped the ante. And so, like you said, man, a lot of positive, a lot of positivity in the fan base, and rightly so. I mean, the you know the pitching they came up with big outs when they needed to. Bullpen was really good. Um, the hitting, you know, was timely. Some two out hits, some game winning hits, obviously from Andrew Eister. and, and you, you really couldn't have scripted it any better for South Carolina in terms of how it played out this weekend.
2: No doubt, and we're gonna be joined at some point during the show by our good friend Colin Taylor. He's gonna hop on and go with a little more depth as far as him covering the day to day of this baseball team. Colin covers it, um, you know, as close as about anybody out there as far as being involved and being at all the not Adam in person because you can't anymore, but being on all the press conference calls and and stuff like that. But you know, I, I think you look and. So far, we you know, we talked about this a little bit last week. So far, this team is sort of what we thought they could be in a perfect world. You know, you're always sort of looking at a team going into a season. You're saying, here's the positives, here's the negatives, here's what they could be if if everything lines up perfectly. They they will face more adversity. They, they're they not going to go undefeated. We all know that. But to start 6-0 with a really difficult schedule coming up um, – Huge for them, huge to grab a little bit of momentum. And, uh, man, I'll tell you the most impressive thing. I I can remember watching, you know, and it's not like South Carolina. Obviously, South Carolina has a really, really good baseball program in the last, really, 20 years. Um, but I can remember even some of their, like, pretty solid teams, there was maybe only a handful of guys out of the bullpen that South Carolina – as a staff, seem to feel comfortable with based on how they use them. And then over the course of a season, you see a handful of guys just sort of getting ridden over and over and over again out of the bullpen. The number of arms South Carolina trotted out there, the number of guys that did not look like the moment got to them, the number of guys that looked like they belonged on that stage, very, very impressive. We'll see how this team – sort of does against SEC competition. There's going to be a lot of really, really good teams they face this year. But so far, so good for South Carolina baseball. So far, so good. And, and you know, like you said, I, we go back to that
3: same storyline. I think it holds true. You know, it held true after four games, you know, um, the, the first series against Dayton and the Winthrop game. You know, this team sort of was what it thought you know, what we thought it would be, entering the season. And obviously we we leaned a lot on Colin for that, but we referenced that conversation several times that we we had with him before the Dayton series of, you know, tell us about this team. And a lot of those things played out after the first series, after the first four games, and they still sort of ring true after Clemson. That is they've shown some pitching depth. They've shown the ability to be much better in the two-strike situations or two-out situations. They certainly have shown – that potential that they had as hitters that Colin talked about, that Mark Kingston talked about in preseason. We've seen some of that. Um, West Clark's been tearing the cover off the ball. I don't know if anybody would have, you know, would anybody have said, okay, West Clark's going to have how many home runs is it, West? Seven, six, seven home runs. I can't even remember the exact number.
2: Six home runs and eight. And eight runs. Runs.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's absurd. And, and I don't know if anybody would have picked that, right? You could have said, West Clark's going to have a good year, big year. Um, and some of these other guys that have been really good to start with. But I don't think anybody would have anticipated that. But a lot of it has been the book on this team has been what everyone thought coming in. And you're right. It's going to get a lot tougher from here. SEC competition is going to be big. I mean, it is going to be really tough. This team could be still a really good team and have some stretches where it scuffles a little bit just because the competition's so good. But, but really positive start and obviously a huge series win over Clemson.
2: Yeah, no, and we we reversed that. It's it's They've only played six games, so it's eight, eight. home runs in six games yep. so far for South Carolina this year, um, which is insane. I, I think West Clark hit eight home runs in the entire season. It was a shortened season, but still um, crazy. So USC Gamecocks fans says, why aren't the Gamecocks ranked in the top ten? Sad. I mean, I, I don't think we're at the point, honestly, of even worrying about – the rankings. That's the. I mean, in in baseball terms, six games is nothing at all. So the the rankings will sort themselves out. I don't think you have to worry about that at all. If South Carolina is worthy of being a top ten team, they will have every opportunity to show they're a top ten team. Uh, oh yeah. You got Winthrop this week uh, with the midweek. You got Mercer this coming weekend. Uh, then you have one more midweek. Then you have Texas, which uh, is a really cool matchup. I'm excited for that. It'll be fun to see South Carolina match up with a team uh, that is a historically a, a baseball power and a team they don't usually play. So uh, I'm glad that if, if there is one thing that we've seen from these weird COVID schedules, it's that there there have been some, some matchups that we, we wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So uh, I think um It'll be fun to watch these two teams play each other and and see where they stack up. Um, Let's see. The Duke throwing out an early controversial comment, I feel like, and that WCW was better than the WWF back in the day. I don't know that I can agree with you on that, the Duke, but I also wonder how old are you, and I'm wondering what your viewing window was compared to maybe mine and Chris's. Uh, What's up to everybody else? Craig, John, Elizabeth, another John, Wade, uh, your local sports talk. That's somebody's username. Uh, What's up, y'all? Hope everything is going well and welcome into the show. I know everybody, man, it's just it feels like everybody's in a little bit better mood right now. Spring has been in the air in Columbia for one and then the Gamecocks able to, to win a big series over Clemson. It was not a perfect weekend for South Carolina. Um, women's basketball team, tough fault game against Texas a and a game that they were down by, uh, you know, I think 15 or so late in the game. They battled back made it a game. Almost seemed like they spent their energy getting back in the game and then couldn't quite finish it off. That game played at Texas A&M, obviously, so, so tough deal for them. But – Dude, I mean, there was a time I looked on Saturday and it was like, okay, the the South Carolina volleyball team had a top 25 win. The men's basketball team beat Georgia. The softball team um, had won their game, maybe won a couple of games. I, they were in a tournament. I can't remember. It, it's all run together. They've played a bunch of games lately, but they had won. Then South Carolina wins in baseball. Um, It was like every single team won on on Saturday. And then I think Sunday, obviously, women's basketball team lost. Softball lost on Sunday, I think, to Duke. But still, a good weekend for South Carolina athletics. And now I will say that the weather has been beautiful in Columbia after some not-so-great weather for a while there. I do believe this is fake spring in Columbia, which is when it feels like it's about to be spring, Mm -hmm. but then it will just magically get really cold again. So I'm not really there yet. But as far as Gamecock baseball being on, somebody else, uh, it was uh, Nick Terrios commented some Braves baseball is on right now with preseason stuff, although I don't get MLB network. That's my fault. Um, good, Good things are happening right now, man. So we'll see if South Carolina can keep this momentum going. It's a spring tease, definitely. I mean, I was out of town over
3: the weekend, came back, and was like, wow, I mean, what was it, 80-something degrees yesterday. felt incredible. But, yeah, I was talking about that with, with some of our friends and that, um, you know, don't don't go getting everything outside ready for the spring and, and planning for that because it, it's going to turn around soon. So definitely a little bit of a tease, but a, a sign of what's to come. And so, hey, for South Carolina, maybe the baseball team could be poised for a really good year, obviously really good start for them. Spring football, West. we're now in the month of March we are projected right now to have spring football quite soon. In about three-ish weeks, a little over three weeks, spring practice set to get underway on March 24th. So exciting stuff around the corner, man.
2: No doubt. Jarrett says Chris has got to get his background right. Jarrett, this is a fight that I've stopped fighting, man. I, uh, sure. I promised it for y'all, thinking it would sort of push Chris into gear. It has not worked. So we'll see. One day, hopefully, Chris will just – Pop on here and surprise us, but it'll be a surprise. We're we're done promising you that one. Um, Let's talk a little recruiting, man, and then we're going to have Colin Taylor. Obviously, he's always got something going on, so we uh, we're going to have him on at some point, probably a little bit later in the show, maybe in about fifteen minutes. I'm going to go ahead and send him that invite right now. By the way, but we're going to talk a little bit of recruiting. I'm going to talk about a guy. I'm maybe a little more familiar with and then Chris will, will let you talk about somebody you're maybe a little more familiar with, but um, dropped by uh, for the second time in the last month or so, caught up with Antonio Williams, the kid from Dutch Fort, man, a wide receiver. Chris, this this dude is absolutely blowing up. I mean, you look back the last the – last, think about this, the last month alone, so in February, he's had an offer from Auburn, Georgia – Michigan, Notre Dame, Ole Miss, Kentucky. I mean, just major offers roll in for him. This is someone that we've been tracking for a while now, has been made a huge priority once Justin Stepp in particular took over and and Shane Beamer took over at South Carolina. And he says South Carolina is recruiting the hardest. Um, He told me that a few weeks ago. He told me that um, again on Sunday. So Gamecocks are – are really making him a, a priority, and I think a guy that we're going to be tracking um, for a while now, and is going to set up to have a, a really big season. Recently, got named a four star on Rivals.com, and tell you what, we actually we're already joined by Colin Taylor. He's down there. Colin, are you good to, to go ahead and talk, man? He's got a thumbs up there, so we're going to go ahead. And get, we're going to go out to Colin. We'll talk a little baseball, then we'll come back to the football stuff. I see a couple of questions about quarterback Tanner Bailey. We will hit on those, I promise. But first, we go out, to Colin Taylor. Colin, what's up, man?
1: How we doing, y'all? Good Monday to – I finally get to come on on a Monday and talk some good Gamecock basketball and baseball stuff.
2: Yeah, and, you know, normally, um, Colin, we get you on to sort of preview what's going to happen. And I think we'll we'll stick to that for the most part. But this is the most maybe excited I've seen the South Carolina fan base as a whole in a while. This is the most positive I've seen them as a whole. And we were just talking about it, man, just how badly this group of people maybe needed something good to happen and something good to happen against Clemson. Um, the men's sports in particular, the major three men's sports, have struggled. We, we know how good as a whole the women's sports have been um, just across the board in this athletic department. But the men's sports, they needed something positive to happen. They get it this weekend, and they get it, Colin, in dramatic fashion.
1: Yeah, it was fun. Um, Just from an unbiased reporter standpoint, the atmosphere in Greenville and the atmosphere in Columbia was insane. Um, It was both games were just two heavyweight fights with Clemson making big plays early at at times and, and swinging and hitting and then South Carolina coming right back. I mean, it was just so much fun and it helps that South Carolina won both games, but this college baseball so much better when this rivalry is good, and even though South Carolina won both games, which is good for South Carolina, I mean, just two really, really great games and and, um, a lot of positive things to build on if you're South Carolina.
3: Yeah, and Colin, obviously, um, you know, there there was a lot to take away from this series, and you had a really good piece for subscribers, quick shout out, really good piece that you published this morning on Gamecock Central with a lot of your detailed thoughts from this weekend, if you guys want to check that out, but what were maybe your top one or two takeaways, whether it was, you know, an individual player performance, a specific moment in the game, either game or both games that you felt like, you know, was maybe the
1: turning point of the game? Uh, Will Sanders is going to be a stud when all is said and done here. Um, when he his career at South Carolina is over, he's going to be – he has first-round level talent. Does that mean he's going to go in the first round? I don't know whenever that draft is, but in terms of potential, the sky's the limit for him. And you saw that, um, obviously, Saturday coming in and pitching out of that two-on-no-out jam, and then again Sunday doing the exact same thing with Hannah Montana as his walk-up music. But, I mean, he was phenomenal uh, 18-year-old kid coming in in those two environments and just shoving. And Andrew Eister, obviously – took a big leap forward. He, he was good the last two years, but, I mean, I think five for 11 this weekend, two walk-off hits, uh, hit the ball really hard when he made contact with it. That was big. And Andrew Peters, another guy that out of the bullpen um, was just phenomenal, um, a guy that's going to, I think, pitch really big innings for South Carolina this year.
2: Colin, the, uh, obviously West Clark's home runs, that, that's what everybody's talking yeah. about right now, man. But, dude, I, I love the A.B. where he gets he gets two quick strikes and the Clemson pitcher is just staying away, staying away. And the first two pitches he really probably couldn't have done much with. And he says, you know what, I'm I'm not just a home run hitter. I'm not just a guy that goes up here swinging for the fences. He shortens up, base hit, single, uh, just a uh, – professional type AB, man. That To me, that that's even more impressive than everything else he does. And the thing about Wes Clark that I've noticed is he's so freaking strong that he does not have to sort of be one of these guys that has to sort of swing for the fences, for lack of a better way to say it. His His swing is actually a little more short and compact, I feel like, than a lot of power hitters. But he's just so strong, the ball
1: just carries for him, I think. Yeah, I mean, that I rewatched a little bit of the game yet uh, this morning, and the pitch from Clark to him from Clark on Clemson to Clark him for his second home run was a good pitch. I mean, it was up, and he just got enough on it and muscled it out. Um, I think the biggest at bat, I mean, yeah, the, the one where he got two quick strikes and then singled was great, but he also drew a walk in the bottom of the ninth inning, and a guy like him you know, he's probably going up there thinking, I want to end this and and hit a home run and, and draws a walk and passes the baton to David Mendham and then to Andrew Ister to set the stage for, you know, obviously the game-winning hit. I mean, he's just, he's a very mature hitter. He's taken a big leap forward in terms of being able to work good at bats and he's just a stud right now. Um, he's an absolute stud and The question was, is he going to be able to do this against high-level pitching? And I think we saw that this weekend um, where he was able to go up against a good Clemson pitching staff and, I mean, had I I think an RBI hit in the first inning on Sunday or at least got an early hit on Sunday or on Saturday. And then obviously what he did yesterday was incredible. Um, So I'm really, really pleased with what I've seen from him just in terms of a plate approach and then obviously – the fact that the dude's got biceps bigger than my head um, and is able to get balls out of the, out of the yard.
3: Well, I got sort of a, a comment and I'll follow that with a question, Colin, cause I wanted you to weigh on, on in on this and then I'm going to give you something else, take it in another direction. West Clark, because it was the Clemson series, it put this in my head that you remember when Clemson had Seth beer and Every time that Seth Beer, whether it's South Carolina, any other team Clemson was playing, would come to the plate, the other team was obviously mortified that he was going to go yard. You know, is West Clark, does he already have that type of effect on opposing teams? And what are teams – are teams going to be able to slow him down at all from this toward pace? Is he going to start getting pitched around? What do you
1: think? Yeah, and that's the thing is I think he was already kind of getting pitched around against Clemson a little bit, and they they obviously intentionally walked him. Um, late in the in eleventh, the but uh, yeah, I think that you're going to start to see now. Listen, is he going to hit 700 all year? No, he's not going to hit 700 all year. But he's they're going to have to start pitching around him because he can really make you pay, and that's that's when it falls on guys like Brady Allen and whoever's in that two hole, whether it's Braylon Wimmer or Brennan Malone, and uh, you know, David Mendham or Andrew Eyster behind him. You know if Brady Allen and whoever's in that two hole can get on. You really can't pitch around him at that point. You know, so it, it's a collective effort. But yeah, I think you're going to start to see teams pitch around him and and listen. When you hit eight home runs and six games, teams are going to start to key in on him, and that's what I think you're going to start seeing moving forward.
3: Yeah, great point. I mean, that's that's what situation Clemson found themselves in was you know could, couldn't walk him at, at yeah. one point that game yesterday. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask is, is just in terms of the makeup of this team. You know, when you look at it, at this team physically, and some of the traits they have, whether it's Wes Clark, who's just, a, like Wes said, a huge dude with tons of power. You look at, you know, some of the speed that they have on this team, those different things. How close is this to the identity that Mark Kingston wants to have that, that he sort of envisioned when he got to South Carolina?
1: Yeah, this is pretty close. Um, he talked, I remember, in his opening press conference – he talked about wanting a team that has speed, that has power, can you know hit your doubles, hit your home runs, but also if you walk or get a single, you can steal. And they have that—guys uh, that can bunt for hits. They have that, and then a really strong physical pitching staff with velocity and breaking balls that go along with it. So, this is—are they a finished product? No, they still have a little bit to go defensively. But um, this is as close in terms of an offensive identity and a pitching staff identity. This is kind of what Mark Kingston envisioned when he took the job here.
2: Colin, there's there's been a couple of questions so far, uh, one from Breaking Down Film about, uh, he says, why didn't we see uh, more than one batter from uh, from Phipps? Uh, Let's see. There's another question. Uh, Anyway, it was about pitching and the approach to when to take guys out. I was actually listening to Mark Kingston on 107.5 before we came on. And he, he said, Look, this is a deep pitching staff. And he said, We as a coaching staff have decided we're going to err more towards taking a guy out too soon versus leaving a guy in too long. Um, I, I do think, you know, there were people, as, as positive as this weekend was, there were still people railing on Twitter about the pitching staff management. Um, sort of in the middle to later parts of the game. Uh, You're going to have that. And in baseball, it seems like it's – if it works out, everybody says it's a great decision. If it doesn't, everybody says it's a terrible decision, which really is not true at all. But how do you sort of see the management of this staff maybe being a little bit different from what we've seen in the past for South Carolina, just because there is so much depth? I remember – I can remember even some really good South Carolina teams, Colin, where – there's still maybe three, four guys that the staff just felt really good about out of the pen, and as the year goes on, they're just riding these arms over and over and over again. Um, does not feel like that will be the case. But with that, you do sort of – it's one of those, like, good problem to have issues because you have to figure out how to manage all these different
1: arms. Yeah, uh, I'll speak to Phipps first a little bit. He came in to face Dylan Brewer, who's a lefty, so they went lefty on lefty matchup there got out of the inning and then brought, I believe Travis Linsman in right after that to start the next inning. Uh, just because I think Clemson had three righties or at least two righties do up in that inning to go more matchup centric um, to give Clemson a little bit. You know, Linsman's obviously a little bit harder thrower, 95 with a very wonky delivery live arm. So kind of throw them off their you know, timing a little bit, which is why I they made that move. If I'm putting, getting into the mind of Skylar Mead Um Just didn't get the job done. And then you go to Daniel Lloyd, and he obviously gives up a few hits. But uh, things settle down after that, obviously, with Andrew Peters and then Will Sanders, who at the end do just fantastic. So I think that's the kind of bullpen that you're going to see is that, you know, Mark Kingston's mentioned that, you know, in previous years, you know, if a guy's given you two good innings, they would have to go to him and say, hey, can you give us three and extend him when they really didn't feel good about extending him. Whereas now it's like, hey, listen, you gave us two. We got another guy that throws just as hard with just as good of a breaking ball. Um, we're going to bring him in. That way you stay fresh. That way we don't have to extend you and it causes problems late in the game. Mm-hmm. So uh, they feel really, really comfortable with their bullpen right now. Brett Carey was after the home run, was great. Will Sanders out of the pen's good. I um, mean, he was fantastic this weekend. Um, Mag Cotto, um, Travis Lensman, John Gilreath, Jackson Phipps, Danny Lloyd. Um, Obviously not this week and struggled some, but you know, they have a lot of confidence in him. Um, and then just they feel really, really good about this bullpen and a lot of different ways to attack hitters.
3: Another pitching move, Colin, going to going to game two that, that sealed the series for South County that I was sort of surprised with, and maybe have a little bit more insight from what you heard post game, what you observed. But Wes and I watched Ty Chuck in high school a lot at Dutch Fork as a quarterback. He was outstanding at that position and obviously a really good young player for Clemson. But he was dealing in the game early. And um, really the only two – he he, had, he made two mistakes. He paid for two mistakes, and that was about it. Um, I was surprised that Clemson took him out. I think the, the batter, the sequence before he got taken out, I, they put up a stat on the broadcast. I think he had thrown about 14 balls out of 60 pitches, something like that that seemed like a turning point to me. Um, What what were your thoughts on that as to maybe why that move was made and how it affected things?
1: Oh, it was huge. It affected things in in such a major way. And um, I think that they since tried to pull the same situation where, Hey, let's take this guy out before the damage comes before the the dam breaks. And they brought in Matt Clark, who was dominant against South Carolina last year, South Carolina's offense could not hit him in that series. And then, all of a sudden, he gets guys on and gives up a home run to Wes Clark. And uh, I thought the bigger move was leaving Matt Clark in to face Wes Clark, a lefty righty matchup. Um, obviously, it didn't pay off for Clemson in the end, but um, I thought for sure we were discussing it in the press box like, you know, why not bring in a righty there just to mess with his time and, and give you somewhat of a favorable matchup against probably the hottest hitter in the country at that point in time.
2: Craig asked, was that Wimmer who made the spinning throw to second? Uh, un- unbelievable play. He says, yes, it was. The thing about that play was that he had the guts to actually make the play yeah. after sort of screwing it up earlier. I thought he was going to just try to throw to first, but to have the fortitude to still make that spin, and, and it had to be so quick, um, obviously he's practiced that movement. Um many, many times and was confident in his ability to do it, even though um, he had messed it up earlier, Colin.
1: Yeah, and the thing – I mean, Braylon didn't have a a great game at second base, Uh, had a throw where – you know, he had a play where he caught the ball off balance and opted not to throw, and then um, obviously had the booted ball, I think, earlier in the inning or the inning before. And for him to come back and make that play um, says a lot about him, says a lot about just the tools he has as a baseball player – um, it's impressive. Uh, he's been very impressive to me through the first six games hitting for power, uh, has a lot of speed. Um, but yeah, he, he really settled in nicely late in the game and made a play that, I mean, if he doesn't make that play in Clemson, I think would have had bases loaded at that point with one out, um, game probably ends a little bit differently. Um, than then, you know, eight, seven. So, you know, kudos to Wimmer. And then, um, You know, Will Sanders comes in and does his thing, too.
2: Colin, a guy I was actually personally curious about, too, that I want to ask you about while we got you on. I, You know, I don't follow baseball recruiting like you do. I I follow it here and there. I knew about sort of the Will Sanders of the world. Um, You know, Justin Hall, who had been working with the Blowfish, had actually hyped him up to no end to me and, you know, said this kid's going to be outstanding. But the guy that I was just intrigued about seeing him completely, you know, sort of going in blind for the first time was watching Jack Mahoney compete on the mound. Uh, some of his stuff, the way his ball moves, I looked him up and I'm like, okay, this guy was more of a shortstop as a recruit. Is that, I mean, I guess he's a two-way guy, but um, tell me about Jack Mahoney. Well, what are your feelings on this kid moving forward? Because I just – something about the kid was like sort of screamed that uh, he's a competitor and that he's going to really be able to help this team, I think.
1: Yeah, uh, he's a guy that committed as a two-way player, and even throughout the recruitment process, you know the thought the thought was he was going to be more of a pitcher than a hitter. Um, he mm-hmm. wants to do both, obviously, and he's a guy that kind of almost got lost in the shuffle when you talk about some of the big names that they ended up getting to school. Um, obviously, struggled and <clears throat> he struggled some in the the fall and the spring. Um, just with command, and he'd have some rough innings during those scrimmages. But just someone that when the lights came on, he has turned it up a notch. And he always had talent. You saw flashes in the preseason, but has turned it up to another notch. And I mean, he was, I think, in a tie game or a two-run game, the first guy they called out of the bullpen to come and, and pitch for him. So that shows the confidence they have. And I think when all said and done, um, he has enough tools and enough pitch ability to be a weekend guy for South Carolina as they move forward. And and if he's not, then he's another guy that has starter stuff that is coming out of the bullpen, and that's never a bad thing. 94 from the right side as a freshman in the SEC is never, never a bad thing. Yeah, and speaking of
3: hard throwing, Colin, one last one I've got for you on on the baseball series is, you know, if you could just hit on Thomas Farr. I know you wrote about him this morning, obviously getting up to, what, 97 in the yeah. series. Um talk about his performance game one a little bit, just what you took away from his performance.
1: Yeah, it got lost in the shuffle. You know, <laughs> um, we talked, obviously, Will Sanders and Andrew Eister and Wes Clark, and those were the big storylines. But Thomas Farpitch, six inning, gave up one run, walked one, and uh, struck out, I think, seven guys up to 97. I mean, he is a Friday night arm in the sec and he is a guy that's going to give you a shot to win every time he's on the mound. Um, He's just that good. And um, he hasn't looked human yet. I mean, he's been able to pitch out of jams and he's such a, such a competitor. I think that's his biggest trait is yeah. He throws 97. Yes. He has a really good breaking ball, but the fact that he's just competing the way he is and showing that emotion trickles down to the entire team to the entire pitching staff. And he's really setting a tone, not just for game one for, but an entire weekend when he's out on the mound. And um, I know I say that and he'll have a rough outing next time out, just because I feel like I've jinxed him, but I mean, he's just been so good. And I mean, it's, he's pitched 12 innings, but it's been really impressive to watch him go out there and compete the way he's gone out there and compete while also delivering, you know, mid to upper nineties kind of stuff.
2: Colin, good stuff as always, man. Final thing for you. Um, what, what are you looking for this week? Obviously, a midweek matchup with Winthrop for South Carolina, then Mercer coming up this weekend. Um, Gamecocks can't afford to, to let up, obviously. they got to sort of keep rolling and, and not not look ahead to Texas, not look back to Clemson. Um, what are you going to be focused on this week?
1: Yeah, just the, the mentality of this team. I mean, it's a group that's not going to get too high or too low, you hope. I'm looking to see if they stay even keel. Throughout all this, uh, obviously, you need to not have an emotional letdown against Winthrop. That doesn't mean you have to win. I mean, they have enough talent to win, but it um, doesn't mean you have to win it, but you have to come out and take the same quality at-bats, pitch, and, and throw strikes. And I'm just looking to see if they can keep that same mentality of, hey, let's take really good at-bats, good two-strike hitting, good two-out hitting, and just keep that momentum rolling, even if they drop a game here and there, which you know happens in baseball to stay even keel and, you know, take the same level of a bats, pitch the same way, um, and let the chips kind of fall where they may.
2: Colin, we appreciate it as always. If you are listening or watching you're not a Gamecock Central subscriber, we invite you all to come check out Colin's work on GamecockCentral.com. We'll be reading, man. We appreciate you. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Yeah, good stuff from Colin, as always. And uh, talking a little Gamecock baseball, always more fun um, for this fan base when the baseball team is winning. And I think you can sense that this is the most um, looking at the comments. This is the most uh, comments our show has ever had about baseball. Um, you know, now we, we weren't doing a show this time last year, but when the season started, there was not this level of excitement, Chris over the South Carolina baseball product. So very cool to see the fan base get back into this and hopefully for their sake that the team can sort of keep it going, man. Cause they're, they will be ups, they will be downs, so hopefully with all the competition this team will face, uh, they'll come out on top uh, as the year goes on. All right, so a little bit of interesting news. We're going to turn this back to football, football recruiting. Interesting news while we were talking, Chris, um, South Carolina announces a new initiative, I guess you would call it, from the athletic department, uh, the Welcome Home campaign. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm just reading through this, Chris, as uh, we're on the air, so I haven't gotten through all the details, but it seems like a good idea. And what essentially the Welcome Home campaign is, is they are actually doing throwback pricing for season ticket holders um, from now through June 25th all the way back to 2010 when – Obviously, Beamer was on the sidelines for South Carolina as an assistant coach. So, the point of this, it says, is that um, because of the financial challenges that donors have faced due to COVID nineteen, they're going to do they're going to do throwback pricing due to COVID. Uh, Football season ticket prices will drop ninety five dollars per seat for a new base price of three hundred and twenty dollars. Uh, There's an extended Gamecock club deadline as far as the renewal period goes. And if, let's see, if donor and donors have, have the options of turning the discounted amount into a donation that will turn around and benefit the COVID relief resilience fund. So again, processing that as we're here on the air, but seems like a smart idea for South Carolina and a, Fan friendly idea, just based on my quick read of that, Chris.
3: Yeah, no doubt. And so, you, what you're doing there is going back to the to a time when Shane Beamer was on staff, and obviously, 2010 has some significance because that is the first and the only SEC East title that South has captured. So, you you sort of accomplish a few different things in one. There, you go back to a period in which the, the current head coach was on staff. You lower a price for a product, which is always something good, um, and then you also sort of have the emotional attachment of 2010 being that really special season for South Carolina under Steve Spurrier. The interesting thing, was, I did not know that this was coming, but i had heard some rumblings a while back, even during the coaching search, that there was something like this planned. So sort of interesting to see it come to fruition to where there was some scuttle that I had picked up within the athletic department that there was going to be some type of price lowering that had something to do with Shane Beamer. So interesting to to see that coming together. And obviously there are lots of questions related to this season that we sort of dove into a little bit on the show before Wes regarding how many people are going to be in the stands. We don't know the answers to a lot of that. But uh, but another interesting way, I think, for the university to try to connect with the fan base. And we've seen Shane Beamer on social media in Gamecock football. They've made more than one reference to that 2010 season right, on social media, just trying to, you know, whether it's showing a couple clips, you know, from that year down in the swamp when Marcus Lattimore ran for 212 yards that captured the SEC's title, things like that. Um, we saw some of those even during the coaching search from Shane Beamer and then since then. So interesting move and, and a pretty cool move, I think, for South
2: Carolina. Yeah, and Chris, as you said, nothing official, but this at, this is as strong of a wording or phrasing as I have seen regarding what I believe – well, I'll speak for myself. Based on some things I've heard and just based on the momentum of uh, society as a whole, vaccine, stuff like that, coming online, everybody having access to it, I have felt like this was headed towards a possible full or close to full Williams-Price Stadium. Well, the wording here from South Carolina – There seems to be a light at the end of the tunnel regarding the pandemic as vaccines are hitting our community. Hopefully if we continue to stay diligent, we can have football this fall and you can fill up Williams-Price stadium and enjoy all the game day traditions that you have come accustomed to. As you scroll down to the frequently asked questions, um, this is from the Gamecock club. What will the stadium capacity be? Answer while football 2021 Measure, while the football 2021 measures to fight COVID-19 have yet to be established, we are hopeful to return to a full stadium. So rather, to me, that just in the phrasing, Chris, pretty significant that the answer was not we're not sure or we will see, which is technically officially true that nothing is for sure. But to say we are hopeful that it will be full, pretty much says that's what they're going to be planning for the possibility of. Yep. Yeah, and and given how they have to
3: operate with budgets and how how much things, you know, can change. You remember last year West before the season, and obviously that it was a moving target. I remember Ray Tanner talking about capacities and in, in some different time periods and um at times they were more hopeful that they could have more fans. And then it was, well, we don't know if we're going to have any. And then it was, okay, probably a quarter, you know, and it sort of was a moving target along the way, just based on whatever was going on with the pandemic. And so we may still see some of that, but it, it is clear, like you said, from that phrasing that there's at least a thought, more than a thought, that there's going to be more people than last season. Right. And, and so they're going to have to plan for all sorts of contingencies. Of Okay. What if it's the same as last year? I'm sure they'll plan for thats that. Is that as likely, I don't think so. I think it's going to be more. Then, okay, what if we can fill it up halfway? What if we can fill it up to, to max capacity? And then out of that point we were talking about on, on a previous show, Wes, okay, if you can fill it up, will you be able to for all these mm-hmm. reasons? How comfortable will people be? How accustomed they are not going to the games, things of that nature. So, um, but, but everything is pointing to the fact that we're going to have more people this year in the stands for football, which will be interesting.
2: Well, and and I think, Chris, uh, let, let's sort of maybe give South Carolina credit here because I believe your your comment there at the end of will, will fans be ready to be back in that environment. Um, obviously, is because we now are sort of in this mindset of hey, big crowds are bad, and that's been sort of programmed. And right now, you know, they are now vaccine. We hope everyone that wants a vaccine will have an opportunity to get one between now and then. Well, I believe South Carolina is actually being forward-thinking in lowering the prices, trying to sort of maybe lower the barrier for people getting back in the stadium and wanting to remind people of how much they loved going out, being in that atmosphere. And would South Carolina love to sell out that stadium with everybody paying full price? I mean, absolutely. You know – based on the losses that the athletic department took last year, they could use any of that money, right? But the bigger picture move here, I believe, is to get more people back in the stadium and remind everyone of what South Carolina football has meant to them over the years. And it's a much more of a long-term type move, I believe, as opposed to, Let's just try to make as much money as we possibly can this year and hope everybody's just going to come back and pay full price. So um, I, I think it's a smart move there for South Carolina. Let, let's run it back to some recruiting. I was talking about Antonio Williams. Chris, this is a recruitment that, as I said earlier, we were already following and that um, you know we were already aware of him. He had a really good year at Dutch Fort this past year. I'm going to throw in his highlights now for the people that are on video. And to me, though, Chris, the recruitment of Antonio Williams has actually sort of taken another step. He's got a four-star by his name on rivals. He's got some bigger offers now, closing in on his 25th offer. Um, I don't know if he's going to be able to quite get to that level as far as competing for the top prospect in the state of South Carolina. But – no question, this is a key key target for the Gamecocks.
3: He is as soon as Shane Beamer was hired, um, th- this staff was all over Antonio Williams. Whether it was, you know, Beamer himself, Dutch Fork alum, Eric Kimry. Uh, you mentioned Justin Step earlier when you know obviously he was a, a later arrival to this staff, but hopped on it as soon as he was on board, which we fully anticipated. So you had some guys that we knew on the staff that were going to go after him and make him a huge priority, and they've certainly done that. They've It's been referenced multiple times by many sources, including Antonio West that we've talked with about how, just how hard South Carolina's recruiting him. And obviously, you know, Dutch Fork's done an, an unbelievable job under Tom Knotts, you know, as, as a whole offensively, and they produce produced some really good players. Uh, but Antonio is a guy that, on film, obviously was impressive. But just watch back his film now. You watch what he's done in some one-on-ones or some camp-type settings, seven-on-seven stuff. He's just been really impressive, man. He's an explosive kid, and he's someone that that South Carolina definitely is prioritizing in terms of keeping him home.
2: And frankly, somebody that they they need, Chris. We we've talked yeah. about receivers. We've talked about the need for for guys to come in and, and, and make some plays. And, you know, this is a kid that, you know, can play on the outside, can play slot is explosive. He could help in the punt return game. Um, You see him, I I think uh, helping on special teams some. So this is a guy that South Carolina needs. Like you said, he, he had, um, I don't know if you saw that play on Twitter. I, I don't remember who posted it, but it was from the Myrtle beach seven on seven where he just goes up and, and one hands a ball at that big tournament a couple of weekends ago. And um, it, it's also Chris, for me, I, I think the perception here of potentially landing somebody like him is, uh, could, could be huge for South Carolina. You look local kid um, right down the road at Irmo, you know, Dutch Fork high that's a place South Carolina has not had a ton of success. Some of it because they haven't went after guys there. You know, I, I think if, if the old coaching staff was still here, um, we, we'd, we'd be hearing people talk about Jalen Hyatt in the chat right now, I think. Um, it, it gets taken back a little bit just because that's through no fault of, of this current staff. But um, to me, it, it's important for the perception of South Carolina to, to keep kids like this in that are local, to keep them in town, basically.
3: Yeah, and, and I think obviously, Wes, the most important thing is signing good players wherever they come from. But when you have a really good kid in the state, you know, there's a good argument to be made that it's it's just more meaningful for some guys in the state. And if you've looked at, you know, obviously South Carolina's best teams um, were, were built using some really good in state talent when they had it. So when you have them, you want to sign them. And Antonio Williams certainly qualifies not only, you know, being an in-state guy, but also a really talented guy and a and a, and a guy that some out-of-state programs really want. Um, and and you do add to it, I think, the sting of, you know, the last two really good players from Dutch Fort did not end up at South Carolina. Now, we've already covered the Bryce Thompson situation was unique. We know that that situation, that, that, that wasn't just all they didn't recruit and they didn't take him. There was a lot more layers to that one, and that one was understandable. I think the one that people are having a lot of trouble with is, like you said, Jalen Hyatt, and um, and that one is one that stings for South Carolina and may continue to sting. So um, certainly, this staff has prioritized a guy like Antonio Williams, who's an obvious, really good prospect at Dutch Fork High, right down the road.
2: Yeah, and that, the the reason I believe, Chris, it's so important for local guys, and, and like you said, man, if you're if you're recruiting nationally though, and you're getting you know, four and five star guys from elsewhere and you're winning a bunch of games. That, that's one thing. But, you know, the, the beautiful thing about sports is that sports are discussed and we talk about them. And when we see our buddies, we talk about them. If you're South Carolina, you, got, you need to take away that sort of, what would you say? The locker room talk or the water cooler talk of, well, why didn't South Carolina offer this guy? Why didn't South Carolina get this guy? Why didn't they go for this guy with, you know, with someone like him, they've made him a priority. They've put him, you know, up there as far as one of their top targets overall. Um, like you said, sting, sting is the best way to say it. I think it stings for South Carolina fans to see Jalen Hyatt play so well as a freshman at Tennessee, to see the receivers at South Carolina struggle to consistently make plays, and then you say, look, this guy was right down the road and you didn't even really go after him that hard. So um, – again not that any of that necessarily has a ton to do with Antonio Williams but the greater point being there if you got a dude right down the road do everything you can to get him in your program and South Carolina is obviously doing that and and watching this film man he's he's honestly he's probably I think even better than I realized now that I've maybe rewatched this film and I've seen him in person in some practice settings a couple times now um, just a really, really good football player and, and somebody that South Carolina needs. So, uh, again, like I said, I, I've i been tracking him very, very closely. Somebody that you wrote about today, Chris, um, in a general sense, um, quarterback recruiting. A guy people have been asking us about a couple of times uh, would be Tanner Bailey. And it, it makes sense because quarterback recruiting, there's a domino effect to this. And that that's something that when you all when you only have one spot available uh, a lot of times at the quarterback spot for major teams when one guy takes that spot that that takes it away for for a number of kids who, who had offers so i'm not necessarily at the point of saying okay that means tanner bailey is definitely going to end up at south carolina because there are a lot of other really nice offers for this kid as well but also i readily admit I mean, you talked to the kid right before he got the offer. I haven't been as tied into his recruitment. Where do you see things right now for South Carolina and Tanner Bailey? I, I know that he is someone that Gamecock fans have sort of focused in on here recently, and um, I'm gonna bring up his film here for everybody who hasn't seen him as well.
3: Yeah, and I'll go back to what you said earlier in, in that the the domino effect of quarterback recruiting. You know, there, there's typically in every class either signing zero quarterbacks one quarterback or maybe two at the most you know on average you're going to sign one a year and so uh, it's very limited spots that's one reason why you see um, quarterbacks commit earlier we've covered that on the program before and there there is that domino effect and so some of those dominoes actually started to fall this weekend Um, we saw the fact that you know Texas, for example, got Malik Murphy. And, and so that's not a guy that had a South Carolina tie, but it's a spot filled at, at Texas under Steve Sarkeesian. Obviously, with his history of quarterbacks, it's going to be a potentially a pivotal thing for some prospects. Ty Simpson out of Tennessee committed to Alabama. That was a big one. Um, so that's Alabama's spot. Tanner Bailey being from Alabama, he had an Alabama offer, Auburn offer, others. Um, Cade Klubnik from Texas is a guy that Clemson has now zeroed in on as a result of losing out on on Ty Simpson. And so Sam Horn, who did not have a Game Cock offer, committed to Missouri. So we're just, just illustrating that quarterbacks are starting to commit, right? And Tanner Bailey, the day before he got the game cock offer, early last month, early in February, told us regarding his timeline, you know, hey, I really don't have one. It, it could be tomorrow. It could be signing day. I'm just going to take it by day by day. And so with some of those dominoes falling, with this being a guy that South Carolina, look, they've got offers out. I think they've offered three 2022 quarterbacks since Shane Beamer was hired, but this was the first one that they, that they offered and he's rapidly built a really good relationship with the staff. So I think certainly that could, it could accelerate things and we'll just have to see where it goes from here.
2: What are you, Chris, uh, I've got him pulled up right now. What, what are your thoughts on him as a player? Well, and, and, I got an unsolicited text from a high school coach
3: who scouted Tanner Bailey, who was super impressed with him. Um, and, and it prompted me even to go back and, and take another look at, at his tape. But, you know, he's a kid that's got good footwork, good pocket presence. He's not going to be super mobile, but he can, he can certainly move around in the pocket. He can escape if he needs to. He's got a quick release, knows where to go with the football. I think there to go back to the phrase I hey, use a lot. Well, it's probably overused, but I do think there's a lot to like about him. I mean, he's got um, he's accurate with the football. He's got a quick release. Um, lots of traits there that you can see why South Carolina likes him and and why he's had so much production in high school and is someone that a lot of college coaches really like.
2: Yeah, no, you do overuse that, but it is a good phrase. Yes. So Thank you. Um, he's and it, I mean, obviously. Chris, you look at the, the offer list too, (laughs) you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of really big names that, that like this kid as well. So, um, and and like you said, I I do think at, at times, you know, is Tanner Bailey like a, is he Luke Doty even as far as rushing ability? No, but I, I think sometimes people get too locked into this. Like, is he a pro style? Is he a dual threat? Um, that's almost become dated, in my opinion. Um, you know, I I'd sort of look, okay, is he pass first or is he run first? And then I look, is he – there's kind of tears to it. Like, is he a guy that can't run at all? <laughs> is he a guy that can do just enough? Is he a guy that can do a little bit more than that? Or is he a guy that's dynamic, uh, you know, and, and can really change the game Um, as far as a runner. I think you look at Tanner Bailey, obviously he's not on the end of this spectrum where you're saying he's a game changer as a runner, but you're also not looking there and saying he has heavy feet and just can't move in the pocket and, and can't do anything. So generally I think we get sort of too maybe too caught up in just categorizing guys in one or the other.
3: Yeah, yeah. The, definitely the, the distinction between the, the pro style and the dual threat. Definitely get what you're saying there. But yeah, I mean, not, not a guy that from a speed standpoint, like you said, is is going to be mistaken for, for Luke Doty. But um, when you look at him on film, has some mobility. I was pointed out in the, the text I got from my high school coach about, you know, just his, his mobility was one of the traits that was brought up. So are there some other guys out there in this class that are more mobile? Yeah, I'm sure so. And, and there's certainly some that are less mobile. So What you want is a guy that can operate well in the pocket, that can move around if needed. Um, He's not going to be that dynamic open field runner like you said, Wes, but obviously most important traits to be able to move around well enough in certain situations and obviously to be able to deliver the football. And so uh, Tanner Bailey shows that that he can do that. He's he's got ample arm talent making a lot of different types of throws and can
2: see why South Carolina likes him on tape. Before we close things out, we turn our attention to another – recruit here that I I think is worth talking about. Another offer for South Carolina, it is Chester's Zan Dunham, a kid that plays quarterback for them, Chris. Um, It appears he is being offered by the defensive staff for South Carolina. A a big kid, a a kid that – and really, I think my important takeaway from watching the film, and if you're on the video side, you can see it right now on your screen, Chris, is this is a – is not just one of those guys that has only played quarterback or sort of you're having to completely project to, to another position. This is a kid that that does play quarterback, but also there's plenty of film of him playing defense as well. Physical kid, has some size to him, will run sideline to sideline. Um, and you had, you had some more on him on the insider uh, forum with your insider report today without giving everything away. What uh, what can you tell us about Zan Dunham from Chester? Well, this is a kid that we saw, I think, Chester seven on seven team, probably uh,
3: in the summer of 2019. You know, playing some quarterback and playing some defense, and like you said, it's got film at both. So this is the second in-state guy that South Carolina um, ha- with quarterback backgrounds, quarterback defensive dual backgrounds that that has been offered uh, under Beamer's staff. Obviously, DQ Smith from Spring Valley. A quarterback and, and could end up playing quarterback in college depending on where he goes but could also end up at, as a DB at safety um, South Carolina's intrigued by him there and with Zan Dunham a little bit of a you know bigger kid 6'2", 215, 220 um, talking with their high school coach over there Victor Floyd at Chester definitely believes that his potential is as a linebacker you know he's gonna, that's the position he's going to play at the college level and that's where Clayton White, who is you know, obviously the defensive coordinator, but from a position coaching standpoint, is going to handle the linebackers. That's where they like him. So like you said, a, a well-put-together kid who shows some physicality, some athleticism, and another in-state offer for Shane Beamer.
2: Yeah, and, and like you said, Chris, South Carolina appears to have, um, you know, there were some guys that already had offers, right, that, that South Carolina sort of just followed up with and and kept recruiting, but this is a I would say a case of them canvassing back over the state, seeing who's out there, seeing who you want to make a move on. And, and really, frankly, being willing to, you know, offer a guy maybe, maybe before some of the other bigger programs around here offer. But I think you look at him athletically, um, you know, that, that program has put out some kids that have been good in college. That program has put out some really good athletes over the years. And um, Victor Floyd always has has run a really good program. I feel like, and, um, just watching the film, I'll, I'll steal your line. Now um, there actually re- there really is a lot to like about this kid, and and on both sides of the ball, I, I think the the toughness. Um, not that you can always judge toughness from a highlight clip, but um, the kid seems to operate with some toughness, just based on this quick view. Yeah, no doubt, man.
3: Big kid. I mean, I, I remember seeing him even, and that that had to be the summer of 2019. And even then, I'm going, man, this is physically. A, a very impressive kid, and um, you know, just just remember him standing out just as a guy where you go, man, he looks pretty impressive just physically. And so then then you watch the tape, and obviously he can move around. He's a good athlete. A lot of times you see, I was having a conversation with a, with a coach about this the other day, high school coach. You know, a lot of times you're going to see these high schools are going to just take their best athlete, and he's going to play quarterback, unless you have sort of that pure quarterback. Now, Zan Dunham has been a very good quarterback at the high school level. It's just that given his size and skill set, his biggest potential in terms of upside is that linebacker in college. Makes total sense. But, um, you know, it just shows his athleticism and how good of just a, a pure football player he is that Chester says, okay, this guy is going to play quarterback for us. Um, you see that a lot at the high school level. And I, I think there's a lot of guys that you go back and, and if they're a DB, even some linebackers in the past, Played quarterback. Maybe they played other positions, but they played quarterback too. Stefan Gilmore, high school quarterback. DJ Swearinger was regarded as a DB coming out too, but he played some quarterback for Greenville. Greenwood and was really good there. So um, I, I think it's a positive trade to have.
2: And I always, Chris, like always the fact, like the fact that, that these quarterbacks have a, a lot of times a greater understanding of the game and, and all the moving parts of a given play, a given – um, approach, uh, giving coverage, because they've had to look at it from a quarterback mindset as opposed to just a positional mindset. So I do think there is some some found value in guys who have had that experience playing on the offensive side of the ball and at an important position like quarterback. And generally, you have a pretty good leader if they're going to play that position as well. So um, th- there is a lot of carryover, I think, from quarterbacks moving to another position. All right, so that's uh, well over an hour there think we're going to lock it up here for Chris. I'm Wes. uh, Also for Colin Taylor. Appreciate him joining us. Good stuff from Colin on the Gamecock baseball team. As always, come check us out, GamecockCentral.com. We'll have plenty more. Like I said, Chris has an insider report that is up. I've got um, a confidential that I'm working on that will be up hopefully tonight. And then, um, of course, complete baseball covers from Colin Taylor. So for Chris, I'm Wes. Appreciate your support and we'll see you all on Wednesday.
1: 18 plus.